And it's nice to have the snow on the mountains, isn't it? That's a good, I mean, it's just, it looks beautiful, but it's also much needed, so. So as far as prayer requests are concerned, um, I hope that you're beginning to pray for the women's advance. You know, in the last few years, we have put quite a lot of work into getting very good speakers. And uh, I think that those that have come have uh, really benefited from the quality of speakers that we've had here. You know, we're a fairly small church, and yet we've had some very good um, speakers here. And Michelle Leslie, who's coming this year, is, again, is a a top-class, no-nonsense kind of a a, a teacher, and I think you will benefit very much from her. I think she's going to speak about suffering. Is that most of what we're talking about? But I know she's going to be very encouraging and very helpful. So, uh, and she's a good, she's a, a good guide to, um, who is, who is a woman's uh, teacher who is useful and the women teachers that are not. And, uh, she is very good at guiding you away from bad teaching. And there is a lot of bad teaching. So, um, you know, she's, uh, I think, really on the ball, and you're going to benefit from her. So please pray for that. We need to pray for this young girl called Lily, who is Dory's great-granddaughter, great-granddaughter. And uh, so she was taken into hospital yesterday with a high temperature of 103 plus, and it appears that she has some kind of blood problem but we haven't heard anything else so we just need to pray for her this morning um i am not i haven't been given any other prayer requests so let's yes what's that ucsf yeah which is good. I mean, I'm glad that she's gone to where she needs to go. Um, let's uh, let's pray for her, and uh, just pray for everybody that's traveling and everybody that's um, you know families getting back to where they need to get back to and so on. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful to you. Um, it doesn't matter this morning that we're little in number. We're here and we acknowledge that you are our God, you are our Father, that Jesus Christ has come to save us and that he has done that. He's achieved and finished the work that he was sent to do on our behalf. And we are now your sons and your daughters. And though we are very far from what we will be, and although we continually fail, and uh, oh, we, must, we must continually repent and, and own up to our sins and our faults. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, with that knowledge, with the knowledge that your grace surrounds us, uh, we pray to you this morning and we 
do again. Thank you for, for such goodness and such grace that is always poured out upon us. For your eyes that, is, that are always upon us. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us this morning, bless our families, uh, bless us this new year. We pray, Lord, for those that are sick or those that are homebound. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort those that uh, may be feeling alone. I think of Dorothy, Lord, because uh, well, she it's very hard for her to even make contact with people uh, in the situation that she's in. So bless her, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those that um, uh, those who really have a hard time over Christmas. I pray that your comfort and your blessing will be upon them and that they will see causes to rejoice in you. We pray for Lily, Lord, this uh, young girl, and we pray that you would have mercy upon her and her parents and, her, and on Dory and uh, heal her, Lord. Help the doctors and the nurses to be the right doctors and nurses to treat her. And uh, may we learn, Lord, through your grace that there has been an improvement in her condition. And, uh, Lord, that uh, you would bless her with long life. I ask, Heavenly Father, for any others that are sick and uh, struggling. I think of uh, Kayla Jones, Lord, and uh, uh, her struggles. And I pray that she uh, will be moved to that facility where she can get uh, a better care, Lord. And I pray that uh, you would heal her heart and and her soul, Lord, also in um, this year would be a real turnaround year. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would um, be with our extended church, that, Father, this year would be a, a year of blessing from on high for us. And as we turn to your word and acknowledge you as Father, Lord, may your spirit help and guide us to a new application and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would turn, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You know, I'm not a morning person, and um, I kind of struggle to wake up in the mornings. Um, I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I'm still bad. Gina seems to get up, and she's all there as soon as she gets out of bed. You know, for me, it's like I have to lay in bed and try and grasp reality it's uh it's a slow process for me 
And one of the things that I do is uh, I actually pray the Lord's Prayer in the morning. And uh, it's because I can't put thoughts together myself to put, you know, articulate a proper prayer. But I do uh, recall the Lord's Prayer. And as I'm kind of reciting the Lord's Prayer to myself, sometimes certain parts of the Lord's Prayer are more prominent than others to my mind. Some of them I grasp um, better that morning than at other times. Sometimes I get halfway through it and then I start daydreaming. But the other day I was uh, praying it and this first part of the Lord's Prayer just came prominently and I was also praying about what to preach today. So um, this anyway was was uh, kind of jumped out at me and I thought, oh, this would be a great topic to speak about just after Christmas Day. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 is our text this morning, the beginning of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus speaking, of course, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I've given you an outline here, a classic three-point outline. Speaks about the Father in heaven, the name that's set apart, and then the send of the Savior and the restoration. But I can't promise you that I'm going to stick by my outline because I've had further thoughts on this. And uh, I want to be a little bit more free this morning, if I can. The first thing, though, that strikes me about this passage is that before we get into what we want from God, and even before we get into praying that God's will is done, and before we get confessing our sins, the first thing that we are to do, according to this model prayer, is that we are to set God apart for the day. You see? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to, to hallow means to set apart, to make holy, to sanctify or consecrate. And so when we're doing this, we are consecrating the name of God. We are setting it apart in our minds. And it's so important that we do that because we are rooted to this world. And we're rooted, therefore, to all of the different things that this world represents. And what does this world represent? Well, according to John in First John chapter 2, everything that's contrary to God. <laughs> Love not the world or the things that are in the world. Everything that's in the world is contrary to God. And we are constantly told that although we are, for example, in the world, we're not of it. That we've been saved out of this world, and this world represents darkness, and it's ruled over by Satan. 
we are not children of the night, we're children of the light, of the day. That we are pilgrims going through this world, heading to another world, which, as a matter of fact, is this world. But it's this world transformed. It's this world changed. It's this world operating the way its creator wants it to operate. It's home. Home not only for us, the sons and daughters of God, but home to God. Because right now, even though God is the creator and God's certainly sovereign, it's hardly a fitting home for the creator of the universe, is it? And there's no need to right now run through all of the evils and all of the ugliness that's in this life. One thinks about general terms like suffering, like injustice and pain and death. And we can add to that list, but that's, you know, that's four items and more than sufficient to show us that there's something very, very, very wrong with this world. And so when we're saying to God that his name is hallowed, is set apart in this world, we are acknowledging that we want to be set apart also. Set apart to him. We cannot ourselves live as saints if we don't first set apart God in our thoughts. And so the very first supplication, as it were, the very first aspect of the Lord's Prayer is to sanctify the name of God. Now, of course, you know that when the Bible speaks about the name of somebody, it speaks about uh, that which identifies them, that which characterizes them. It's not just an appellation. It's not just a, a label. The name of God is what represents God. God is holy. God is separate. He's apart. He's different. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And thank God for that. His ways are always right. His ways are always just. His ways are always true. Everything that is done by God the Father is done in righteousness, is done in holiness, is done in love, is done in mercy. And it must be done in mercy because of the fall and the sinful state that we find ourselves in. And it's all done willingly by God, not grudgingly by God. Uh, a great old book that you should get hold of hold on if you can, is a book by J.B. Phillips called Your God is Too Small. And it's still available, I think, but it's a great book. It's, it's very well written, and it's certainly well worth your time. Let me read one little portion of it 
for you here. This is page 65. And Philip says this, quote, We shall never want to serve God in our real and secret hearts if he looms in our subconscious mind as an arbitrary dictator or a spoil sport or as one who takes advantage of his position to make us poor mortals feel guilty and afraid. We have not only to be impressed by the size and unlimited power of God, we have to be moved to genuine admiration, respect, and affection if we are ever to worship him. It is not the job of the preacher to make God into this solemn judge, this one who is aloof, this one who uh, constantly has a grumpy expression on his face. We are not to think about God as somebody who is constantly irked by our lives and by our attitude. If we do, then we'll never be able to appreciate God for who he is. We'll never be lifted out of that state of inadequacy in which we know all too well that we live in. God's name should, when we think about it, Lift us up, lighten the load, put a smile on our faces, bring the sun into our cloudy days, warm us up in the coldness of our hearts. If it doesn't do that, then our concept of God is wrong and our worship of God is impossible. It's not, please don't uh, misunderstand me, It is not that God is only merciful and loving and kind and generous. Of course, he is just. And of course, he is to be feared. We've spoken about that. And yet to set apart God's name as just a cold, uh, as Philip said, spoil sport, in the sky, who just has the power to pull the strings necessary to make our lives even more miserable if we don't, you know, shape ourselves up, is to completely misunderstand grace. It is to put ourselves actually under a law that even God didn't put us under. God wants to be known as our Father, So Jesus says, when you pray, pray, our Father, my Father. There's nothing wrong with making this an an individual prayer. My Father, who is in heaven. I didn't have a particularly great father, and some of you didn't have a particularly wonderful father. Some of you had terrific fathers. That's a blessing. But you have got the best father that you could possibly have. And you will come to realize that, especially when you meet him face to face. 
he is a wonderful father. He is a protector. Yes, a discipliner in, when necessary, especially in this life. But always loving. Always caring. He's for you. He's on your side. He's not your enemy. He never will put himself in a position opposite to you. Some of you may have sons and daughters that have gone astray. You always love them, don't you? You're always for them. You're, you're always rooting for them. The father is your father and he is on your side. But he's in heaven. Our father who is in heaven. Why did Jesus say that? I mean, we know the, the, the biblical doctrines that, that the father is omnipresent. I mean, where his knowledge is, that's where he is. His spirit upholds the heavens. In fact, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. He's everywhere. So what is this idea about him being restricted to heaven? Of course, he's, the idea is not that he's restricted, but that he is, to use a, a, a basic term, concentrated there. That's where his holy presence resides. In heaven. If the Father is so wonderful, if he is so patient, if he's so loving and he's so righteous, heaven must be a tremendous place. It must be the experience of experiences. We're not told an awful lot about what heaven is like, surprisingly, in the Bible. I think that's because it is of such surpassing beauty and glory that words don't really describe it. And perhaps it's also because if there were words that could describe it, or at least uh, partially describe it, what our twisted minds would do is that we'd kind of concretize it and make it something that fits into this world. And we'd uglify it. Because we'd just conceive of it as being the very best thing that existed in this world. But it far surpasses anything in this world. This is the idea, do you see? I don't think we understand the tragic consequences of the fall. Perhaps we don't understand uh, that compared to heaven, even the most beautiful things here upon earth, things that we truly believe are beautiful and things that, yes, do reflect God, are not fit to have any place there. Just think about some texts that perhaps are familiar. Go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. 
I'll turn to just a, a few passages this morning. Luke 2 and verse 10. This has to do with the shepherds. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Angels, there they are, up in the sky, lighting the place up. Must have been an amazing sight. Must have been an amazing thing to hear the voice of an angel and then the the heavenly chorus. Just imagine that. And their message from God is described of good tidings of great joy. Great joy. Not just joy, but great joy. Well, since they said that and went back to heaven, there hasn't been a great deal of great joy in the world. But entering back into their heavenly realm they entered the realm of great joy. And the the joy that is in heaven will be a joy that is upon this world one day. The joy that's in heaven is the joy that is uh, there because the Father is there, because the Son is there, because the Spirit is there. Joy is not something separate to God, not a quality, so that we will look upon God and ask if he is joyful today. He is joyful in his character. That's why joy exists. The same as he is peaceful, as we'll see in a minute, in his character. That's where, why true peace exists and will exist He's holy, that's why holiness exists. He's righteous, which means that's why justice exists. These things are inherent in God, they come out of God, and where his influence is not uh, cut back or uh, influenced by the fall, all of these attributes are seen to their fullest extent. Heaven and the tidings of great joy that were spread by the angels, that great joy, it will be realized when this earth is made a dwelling place of God. Of course, the passage in uh, Matthew 6 tells us, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven heaven. There's the promise right there. In Psalm 23, we're all familiar with that psalm, and I know it has some kind of negative or gloomy aspects to it, although they are enlightened by the presence of God, by the promises of God, things about the shadow of uh, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's in this world. We understand that. But But the immediate impact of that psalm is of peace, tranquility, calm, safety. Psalm 23, 
is this wonderful psalm that says, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, if the Lord is our shepherd, then what follows, it follows from the character of the shepherd. So, I shall not want. Of course not. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's concerned not just with my body, but with my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the Father. These realities are in heaven because the Father's in heaven. The peace, the still waters, the quietness, the part and parcel of the experience of those who have gone in front of us. Think again of this passage in the book of Isaiah 26, verse 3. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Are there any minds in heaven that are not stayed, fixed upon the character and the name and the goodness of God? So they remain in perfect peace Up in heaven. I think that's perhaps the first thing. You know, if if, uh, if Christ delays his coming so that we all must face death, that toothless adversary for the Christian, one of the first things, perhaps the first things that will come upon us as we enter heaven will be peace. This place is astonishingly tranquil. There's nobody driving through there revving their engine and playing uh, hip-hop music. There's nobody there shouting curses at each other. There's no anger. There's no false news. There's no hatred. The character of the Father pervades the whole place and therefore it is a place of peace, a place of joy, a place where all of the best aspects of human character can be seen and experienced. Think again of this text in 26.12, Isaiah uh, 26.12. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. You know, we need that. We don't want to push that away. We don't want to push God's influence away. We want God to work in us so thoroughly that all of our works reflect his character. And for that to happen, he's got to do all of the work in us. Because if he doesn't, he can never establish peace. 
So our Father in heaven, there's one other thing here that I want to bring out. I know I've stayed on this first point more, but I told you I'm not going to stay by my uh, outline. It's our Father who art in heaven. And I said, yes, you can individualize it, but don't forget that it is the prayer also of the church, our Father. And we represent the church when we pray. Don't ever forget that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a name to be set apart, as we've seen. And then we must not forget this great truth. We're right on the, we're now in what in England's called Boxing Day. It's where the presents that you didn't want, you box them up again and take them back to the store. But being just one day uh, after Christmas Day, it's good to pause, especially, you know, on many Christmas days are just so busy and rushed and doing things that you forget about what it's all about. But it's the Father that sent the Son. That little baby in the manger who was to grow and to become our saviour was sent by the Father. We are saved because the Father called us through the Son by the Spirit. It's not that that the Father just had a, a, a job for the Son to do and then went about his own business, as it were, while the son did what he had to do and came back one day and reported to him that the the job had been done. The words that Jesus spoke were the words of the Father to us. The work that he did was the work that the Father wanted him to do. And therefore he could say to Thomas, if you've seen me, or is it Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what the Father is like. I represent the Father to you. So when we pray, my Father, hallowed be your name. We want to set that name apart. We want to set that name apart as the one who has devised our rescue and has done it and will one day make sure that we experience the fullness of his peace, the fullness of his joy, the fullness of his glory. In fact, so much so that in Romans chapter 8, not only are we justified and sanctified, we're also counted as glorified. We're just waiting for that glory to come upon us. But the Father has made sure that that will happen to all of us. And when we experience that glory, it's not just that we'll be more powerful, we'll all become superheroes. It's that we will now possess the ability to experience and understand and process heavenly life 
I said at the beginning that we are not, the reason I think that, that we don't have a lot of information about what heaven is like is because we would, we would mess it up, we would uglyfy it if we uh, try to put it in our own terms. And in the same way, our physical frames, our minds, our imaginations, our emotions cannot appreciate or take in the glories of heaven. They have to be transformed in order to fit in, in order to be part of that. We have to be changed utterly, thoroughly. The Father realizes that. The Father has arranged for that to happen. And so, in this message, all I wanted to do really is to focus on those few things and to remind us that when we pray this prayer, and I, like I said, I pray it every morning, what are we, we, we need to understand what we're doing. We're setting apart God in our minds, in our lives. Not just as some powerful being. Not as some spoil sport who can ruin our day if we're not careful. But somebody who really does love us despite who we are. Somebody who's got our back. Somebody who has done everything that's necessary to make sure that one day we enter into that peace, that prosperity, that joy. In fact, that individuality that we were created for. One final text in Romans chapter 11 will sum it up. Verse 33 and following. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Father, we acknowledge you as being the source of our salvation and our hope. We acknowledge you as being our true Father. We, your sons, and though it does not yet appear what we shall be, we know that when we see Jesus, we will be like him. The full transformation into adopted sons and daughters of God will occur. Not just the transformation of our bodies, but the transformation of our minds, the transformation of our perceptions of reality will also change. And we will be able to appreciate not just the power of your glory, but the joy and the peace of your glory too. And we offer you our thanks and our worship in Jesus' name. Amen.